we're going to be looking at marriage uh, this morning together, and our, marriage is an incredible thing. My, you just saw my wife. She read the scriptures. I, I love that woman. I do. I've been married to her for some years now. I, I added it up before I got up here, so I wouldn't you know, forget. 13 years I've been married to that woman, and we have four awesome kids together, and I'm so thankful for how God has shaped both of us, and I'm thankful for all of the things that we've got to experience together. And in this moment, right now, as I stand before you, I am so happy to be in the bonds of marriage with that woman. However, marriage is hard too. It's really hard. Take, for instance, an hour from now, I'm probably going to be pretty hungry, right? Right? And I'm going to be trying to flock my four kids together and get them out the door and into the car so that, so that I can get some food. And I'm going to be wondering why we can't keep our kids together long enough to get them out the door and into the car. And also, I'm going to be wondering why my wife doesn't understand how hungry I am. And so she's talking to people as we're going out the door, and I'm like, no, no, the kids are grouped up together. This is our moment to get out of here and get food. And then we're going to get in the car, and I'm going to want to stop at the first place that will give me food. And she's going to want to save money and drive all the way home and get food. And that's where it gets really ugly. So I'll just spare you the rest of the details. But marriage is a beautiful thing, but life is hard. Marriage is difficult. And what are we going to do with all of that? Um, it's hard because it's two broken people trying to live together, right? Right? And it's two broken people trying to live together in a broken world. So it's not just that the two of us are broken, but just even our understanding of marriage on a day-to-day -day basis is, is, is kind of messed up. All of us. Even if we know what it is and we, we, we know the Bible, we live in a broken world and that affects us. Our upbringing affects us. And so our view of marriage is influenced by all of those things. It's influenced by the brokenness of our past, by what we see in our culture, and by what we experience in our everyday lives and relationships with this person that we're trying to live life with. But here's the thing. We have, we've just read through Colossians. And what I want us to understand first and foremost is these are just two short verses on marriage, right? Like, they're pretty straightforward and probably not what most of us were looking for if we really want marital help. But everything that preceded these two verses is relevant, okay? Like, I want us to understand that more than anything. If we don't understand what, what Paul just wrote to, to wives and husbands in the context of who Christ is, then we are missing it. It, it is because of Christ that these two verses have new meaning now. And that's what I'm hoping to help us connect here today, because Paul has talked a lot about theology for the head and for the heart, and now he's getting to theology for the home life, Right? But they are not disconnected. They, are, they go together. They cannot be taken apart. So this Jesus, who is supreme over all creation, who is all-powerful and who is the fullness of all things, he is completely relevant to these two commands to wives and to husbands. Because Jesus wants to bring fullness. Jesus offers fullness to us, right? That's what we, uh, you guys looked at in Colossians 2.9, right? Jesus, in whom the fullness of deity dwells, right, who fills you in every way. Jesus wants to give us and help us have full marriages in him. 
but it has to be connected to him. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done changes us when it comes to marriage. It's what makes a Christian marriage a Christian marriage, is that Jesus is filling it. One of my fears for my own marriage is that I will just simply do okay at the whole marriage thing, right? Plenty of people make it in marriage without Jesus. They do. People make it through life, staying married without Jesus. And one of my fears is that that I will do that, that I'll just be okay, that I'll just make it. Because as I read the scripture and as I see the incredible truths of Colossians, I don't want to just make it. I want to have a marriage that, that, that is just beaming with the fullness of Christ. That's Christian marriage. That's what makes it distinctly different, is all that Jesus is in us and flowing out into our relationship with our spouses. And it's hard to make it. I don't want to make light of that. Like, there's a lot going on in life, trying to, trying to raise kids, trying to pay bills, trying to deal with your hopes and dreams and, and missed hopes and dreams and new hopes. and all. It's difficult to get through life and just simply make it. But there's a lot more at stake here. There's a lot more at stake than just two people loving each other for a lifetime. There's reflecting what God has done in Christ. That's what we're called to as Christian husbands and Christian wives. And so I would guess, if, if you're married here today, that you, sure, sign me up for fullness in marriage. If you want, everybody, I'm, I'm sure, wants a better marriage, wants to improve and grow in their marriage. And I think that Christ offers fullness specifically for marriage. And I just want to, I want us to understand what is fullness. It's a, it's a great term, but here's how I'm going to kind of define it for us. Fullness, when it comes to Jesus, it's, if something is, is full, it's all there, right? There's nothing that's, that's missing, right? And all that is there is everything that it should be. Does that make sense? Fullness. Jesus is the fullness of deity, meaning he's not lacking anything when it comes to being God. It's all there. And all that is there is everything it should be. There's a qualitative aspect to that, right? It's not just that, oh, we mustered up all the pieces and they're kind of broken and tarnished. No, it's all there and it's all as it should be. That's fullness. And I want you to think about that in, your mar- in the context of your marriage. Is it all there? And is everything that there everything that it should be? I believe that only in Jesus can we experience that. And I believe that we can, in Christ, experience that in our marriage. There's great hope for us. So, Jesus is the source of that fullness. That is clear in the book of Colossians. So, ladies first, if you want fullness in your marriage, here's what Paul has to say to the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What I believe he's saying here in the context of the book of Colossians is, wives, fullness is found in following your husband the way that Jesus followed the Father. Fullness in your marriage means that you follow your husband like Jesus followed the Father. And here's the thing, you're going to be tempted many times to want to to do your own thing, to go your own way. 
And you're going to think, I, I really honestly believe you're thinking, it's going to be better if I do this. You think fullness is over here by me doing what I think is best. And Paul is directing you, he's telling you fullness is found when you follow your husband the way that Jesus followed the Father. I got to say this, when Kevin asked me to preach this passage, my first thought was, he's joking. <laughs> he's joking, he's a funny guy, he's always telling jokes in his sermon, this is one of his little jokes, you know? I realized he wasn't joking. So my second thought was, okay, this would be my first message of restoration and probably my last message of restoration. (laughs) So here we go. And the thing is, like, there's a lot of things going on here when we, in our current cultural context, read a verse like this in Colossians. Wives, submit to your husbands. Not going to go over real well. It's just not. But here's the thing. The culture that Paul was writing to was very different than ours. They weren't as far along as us right? They hadn't come as far as we had in a lot of ways, but I think there was some similar need for this command to be reinstated because you see the gospel radically reshaped culture big time, right? Incredible. Like the the gospel comes in where there once was these very distinct lines and differences between Jews and Gentiles. God made them one body in Christ, made them equal partakers in salvation, Huge reshaping of culture. Uh, The same thing was true. Um, He says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The gospel was radically reshaping society and culture and the way that that people were. And, And so one of the fallouts of that was, and we see this in Paul's writings, he had to kind of go back and kind of pick up the pieces a little bit because people were taking things a little bit too far. Yes, everyone is an equal share. They're on the same level when it comes to receiving the blessings and the fullness of Christ. But it didn't completely eliminate every distinction between people. Like there were still things God intended to be a part of relationships and, and interacting with one another. Particularly to the church in Corinth, we know this, he wrote a lot about to the, to specifically to the ladies, because honestly, they were being kind of like flamboyantly and unnecessarily like rebellious, because they're like, oh, huh, you know, we're, our own, we're, we're equals, man, like, you, you can't tell us what to do, like, and it was just kind of this chaotic disorder, and so Paul has to write and kind of say, no, 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 this is what this means, and this is what this doesn't mean, and the same is true in marriage. This is not an equality thing. This is God's purpose and intention in marriage. And we have to be careful because this isn't, this is sort of one of those backpedal things, right? Like in our current cultural context, like it's not, it's not going to be well accepted. But we have to understand it again in the context of Scripture, in the context of what God is trying to do, and not what our culture is necessarily saying. It's, and, and, and it's, I want to spend a little time here because in our culture, there's, there's groups of people who are going to celebrate progress because it's progress, right? Like, just because we're going into a new area, it's to be celebrated. Like, that's kind of the, the undertone. And that's not always the case. Progress is not always good. If we're moving away from what God is, has for us, that's not progress. But it feels like that's, like, we got to play along with that sometimes, it reminds me, uh, back 
when I was young and dumber than I am now, um, I got this idea that I wanted to go out to this lighthouse. It was in, it's the Tillamook Head Lighthouse off Canna Beach Seaside. I got it in my head that I wanted to, I heard you could get in, into the lighthouse if you got onto the rock. So I got us some buddies together, we got some kayaks, and we were going to go to the lighthouse. Well, you need to know a few things about the Pacific Ocean, okay? Like swell and current. Those are two really important things. Didn't, wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about getting on the lighthouse. So we get going. There's four of us, four kayaks. Only two of us made it past the surf, okay? The other two got washed up on the beach, never made it. But I'm, I made it. I was happy. I'm going. And all of a sudden, I mean, it was bad. I've been on the ocean plenty. It was bad. Like, it was mountain-type things. Like, I'm still going like an idiot out to this lighthouse. And pretty soon, I'm, I'm going at this lighthouse, and pretty soon, I'm actually on the other side of the lighthouse and kind of almost rowing back towards shore. And I'm like, I don't really know how this happened. Well, current, right? There's a lot of current out there, like, taking you in a direction. And so I at that moment, finally realized this was a bad idea. I'm like two miles out in the ocean. And, and then I get in a string of crabbing buoys. And you know what they do when the swell goes up and down? They make this like noise. And I'm in a little kayak on the ocean. And I'm just like freaking out. And so I get back as fast as I can. And I'll just say to make the story kind of wrap up here, I made it, my kayak made it, my paddle made it, and whatever else I had all made it, but not together, okay? When I went back through the surf, I was like a washing machine, man. I don't even know what happened or how I got to the beach, but I did. And just dumb, okay? Progress is not always good, okay? Like, I was celebrating the fact I made it through the surf. I kind of wish I wouldn't have. Not good, because all of a sudden, now I'm in a current, now I'm in these waves, and I'm out where I shouldn't be, and I'm at the mercy of the ocean. That's a picture for us when we progress outside of God's intention for us. And so we have to be careful. We have to understand that as we're coming to God's word, like he has what's best. Jesus is the fullness of all things. So whatever he says is best, even if it sounds a little wonky and a little off and a little bit completely the other direction from, from where we're at culturally. And so I want to look at this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Follow them. Follow your husband like Jesus follows the Father. What is it actually, what is it and what does it look like? Because I think a lot of the confusion here and a lot of it honestly is just not understanding what it is. First and foremost, who is the command to? It's to the wives, right? So, Husbands, not your job, okay, to make sure you have a submissive wife. It's God's instruction to them. It's not your job. Your job's coming in the next verse. Don't worry. He's going to talk to you. But the command is to the wives to choose to put themselves under their husbands. It's a choice that they make. It's not anything to do with, it's not the husband's responsibility in any way. And secondly, it is a choice that you make as a wife to to do every day, to place yourself under the leadership of your husband. And here's the thing. I think this this, uh, command has sort of a a negative, like like it's a sign of weakness, right? Like I think that's how it's perceived, like, oh, this, this uh, this is degrading. It's not. Biblically speaking, this is not degrading at all. 
Biblical submission is a sign of great strength and security because Jesus, right, the one who fills everything in every way, who has everything, who lacks nothing, submitted himself to the Father. It is not a sign of weakness. Biblical submission is not a picture of weakness. It is a picture of incredible strength. It is what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. He submitted himself. He was all, he didn't submit because he was weak. He submitted because he was the all-powerful one and he could. And he was secure in who he was. And he was secure in the Father's love. So biblical submission is not a negative thing. It is, it is, a, is a great quality that, that reflects Jesus, our Savior. And so that's why ladies look to him. Because my wife and I sat down this week. I was struggling. I was like, okay, this is what the Bible says. We got to teach this. And honestly, I was like, I really feel like you are a submissive wife. Like, you're, I, I do. But I was having trouble putting my finger on what it was. It's not that she doesn't have an opinion. She's got lots of opinions. <laughs> like, uh, it's not that. So what is it? Like, and we, we both were kind of like, yeah, I don't, uh, this or that. And I was struggling to put my finger on what does it actually look like in marriage for, for a wife to be submissive to her husband. And then it just dawned on me, like, okay, yeah, Jesus. Jesus, what did it look like for Jesus to submit himself to the Father in his earthly ministry? Like, we have great, a great picture of that in the gospel accounts. And so I just started thinking through Jesus' life, and I, was, and I started kind of picking up on things that I don't think... I would have ever maybe put under the category of submission, but I think they are. When you look at Jesus' life, and I just want to, I'm just throwing a couple of them out there for you to get you thinking about what this looks like in the context of your marriage. One thing I see is Jesus directs people towards the goodness and glory of the Father. And I think that's, I think it's an evidence of him submitting himself to the Father. He's not out there trying to get his own name out there. He's constantly directing people at the Father. He's constantly tying everything that he's doing to what the Father is doing, right? This is, this is a, a characteristic of Jesus' ministry. He's always talking good and pointing people towards the Father. And I think that's evidence of submitting yourself under the Father, directing people to him, talking good about him. So I would just say, how do you speak about your husband to other people? Do you speak good about your husband to other people. I think, that's an, I think that's a characteristic of a wife who is placing herself under her husband, choosing to talk good about him. Jesus looks to please the Father, right? As you look through Jesus, that's like a constant theme throughout Jesus' ministry is he's, he's trying to please the Father. He's not trying to please men. He's not, he's not just sort of moved by the crowds, but he's trying to please the Father, He's decided that that's what he wants to do. His happiness is wrapped up in the Father's happiness. And again, I think that's him placing himself under the Father. And I would just say, when is the last time that you initiated something because, because you genuinely wanted to, to bring happiness to your husband? I think it's a great opportunity to practice placing yourself under him. Another big one, Jesus seeks to align himself with the Father. As Jesus is going along, he's always aligning himself with what God is doing. He's listening to him. And the, probably the biggest one here, the one that's like maybe most helpful, maybe not, I don't know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? 
Jesus literally, like, that account is just incredible to me. But Jesus is saying, please take this cup from me, God. I think we just always think, oh, Jesus and God, they were just, you know, they're always, well, he says there, please take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but your will be done. I mean, that's, that's it, right? Like, when, when there's the biggest difference between wills, like, that's where this comes into play most heavily, and we see this in Jesus, right? Jesus he doesn't want to drink this cup. He doesn't want to go to the cross, but he does because it's what the Father wills. And I would say that's a challenging one, to be supportive even when you disagree, even when you want to go this way. Like, in that moment, I think fullness comes when you look to Jesus who, who followed the Father, and you can do the same in your relationship with your husband. When you can reflect that relationship in your marriage with your husband. A couple more. Jesus wants to be with the Father where he is. Again, choosing to want to be with and where the Father is, I think is an act of Jesus submitting himself to the Father. He goes where the Father wants him to go. And he wants to be where the Father is. And it wasn't always great places, right? Obviously, the cross, not a great place. But many other times, Jesus is led into things that aren't necessarily maybe the most pleasant places. But he wants to be there. He wants to go there where there's danger. Why? Because it's where the Father is working and where the Father is. And I think, again, that for you can be a real tangible way to, to, to choose to want to be where your husband is. I mean, life and marriage is going to lead us into some crummy circumstances at times. Finances get tough. We don't get the house that we want. Our kids, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. And, and to be able to choose to just be, want to be there because that's where your husband is, I think is a, is a great way to demonstrate placing yourself under. Uh, the last thing is Jesus, last one I just kind of saw was Jesus receives the love that the Father gives to him. He receives the love and he, and he holds fast to it. Because there were times even in Jesus' earthly ministry where he wasn't necessarily feeling the love, right? Especially in the latter days of his ministry. But you never see Jesus let go of the love that the Father has for him. Even as he goes to the cross, Jesus holds fast to the love that the Father has for him. And there's going to be dark and distant times in any marriage relationship. But I believe that you can experience fullness in Christ in those times if you hold fast the way that Jesus held fast. It's not going to be easy, but our example is Jesus who endured the cross for us. And unfortunately, your husband isn't as perfect as God is, right? So it's, I could already see the wheels turning here. It's like, okay, yeah, Jesus perfectly followed the Father, perfectly submitted himself to him, but I'm married to that guy, and he ain't like that. Uh, I'm not like that. I'm first one to confess here. But the temptation is going to be to believe some lie, that happiness and fullness is found some other place, and I think Colossians is telling us it's in Christ, and, and, and we experience that 
as we follow our husbands the way that, the way that Jesus chose to follow the Father. So here's the thing. That's usually the most controversial part, right? The, the, the wives part. But I would say, and I actually, I didn't even say it. My wife said it. She's like, actually, she's like, when we were talking about this this week, she's like, I feel like you kind of got the short end of the stick here. Like, you're the one that's responsible for what happens. Like, it's on you. Like, well, thank you. That's a vote of confidence. <laughs> but if we really understand what Paul says next, in the context, again, of the narrative of Scripture, because that's how this has meaning, right? What is, what is Paul going to say here to the husbands? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I could read over that a hundred times and just be like, nod my head. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, I know that. Not in, the, not, not in the context of the narrative of Scripture, I don't. Love. The word here is agape love, the deepest form of love. It is a selfless, sacrificing, never-ceasing love that always looks to the need of the other person. This, This is the love of Jesus. Husbands, fullness for you is found in loving your wives the way Jesus loves you. And, and you can't just read over that. That's a big deal. You're supposed to love that woman that you're married to the way that Jesus loves you? I mean, if you really get that, you should be saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I ain't supposed to love her like that? Like, that's, that's a big ask. That's a huge ask. That, that means selfless sacrifice. It's not... It's not found in me. Uh, Fullness, guys, is not going to be found in doing just enough to keep her happy to get what you want, which is honestly how we operate most of the time, let's be honest. Okay, I know if I don't do this, it's going to mean this, 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 and this for me. That's usually how I'm, that's that's how I'm wired. I'm like, okay, okay, I I can kind of put it all together and here's what we got. That's not what is being said here. This is the selfless love of Jesus for your wife. And here, again, for us, we can't, I think we spend most of our time just trying to do just enough to get what we want, right? That's not the love of Jesus. That's not loving our wives the way Jesus loved us. And here's some, here's some things that I see in the way that Jesus loved us. Jesus left heaven to live on earth so that he could be with us. Like, that's a major downgrade, okay? (laughs) Jesus left heaven. That's like where we're all trying to, we're all hoping to get, you know? He left heaven to be with us. He entered our world so that he could be with us. If you're going to love your wife the way that, that... Jesus is calling you to love her, like, it's going to require you to leave where you want to be, to be with her. That's the incarnational love of God that you are now called to incarnate in your marriage, to go to her wherever she is. And I would say, what, what have you given up lately? Point to something. And... Uh, 
Guys, as I'm doing this, I'm not condemning you. I'm calling myself out too, okay? I had to struggle with this all week, so uh, I'm just sharing that with you. Um, What have you given up lately? Point to something that you've given up. Point to a time where, where you pursued to connect with your wife. See, I'm like type A. I got like projects and things and things are very like linear and, you know, and and it's hard for me to like step out of that mode. But if I'm going to agape love, like Jesus agape loved me, I have to step outside of my world and step into the world of my wife. Whatever that looks like, emotionally, physically, spiritually, what does it look like? How have you tried to connect with your wife lately? in a way that requires you to step outside of what's, what's natural, comfortable, and happy for you. Jesus gave up his own good for our good. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and I know you have. Uh, get the credit card statement, and you're like, mm, nope, what's that? Nope, nope, nope. Like, honey, what, are you trying to spend all of our money? Like, I mean, Amazon's getting a lot of it, you know? So I like come down and all this stuff and I'll walk into Home Depot and I'm just like, yeah, I need that tool. And I just spent triple what I just got all over her for spending, right? When is the last time that you can remember that you gave up something that you liked or brought you joy or happiness so that your wife could have something that she likes or values or wants? Jesus gave up his good for our good, right? He gave up his very life. For us, so that we could benefit. And you're called to be like that. You're called to love your wife the way Jesus loves you. Here's another one. Man, your wife's probably been telling you this ever since day two of your marriage. Jesus loved exactly how we needed to be loved. So as we look at Jesus, he loved us exactly how we needed to be loved, right? We didn't need chocolates, diamonds, or flowers. We needed a Savior. That's how Jesus loved us. Your wife doesn't need a Savior. She's already got one, but she might need chocolates, flowers, and diamonds, okay? Just saying, Jesus got the Savior part taken care of. How does your wife need to be loved? Because that's exactly how Jesus loved you, right? Whatever you, exactly what we needed. Do you know what your wife needs? Do you even know? I mean, there's a start. I got to be honest, it takes some thinking sometimes for me. But do you know what she needs? Because that's how you're called to love her. And if you don't know what it is, I'm just saying you're probably not going to do it, right? Jesus loved exactly how we needed to be loved. And the last one here, Jesus loved the most when we loved the least. How's that one for you guys? Jesus loved us when we did not love him. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved you with. Guess what, guys? That's the kind of love he wants you to love your wife with. And I'm going to just be the, that's hard. it's, It's the cycle, right? It's the human cycle. Sure, it's easy to love someone when they love you back. Or it's a lot easier anyway. 
it's hard when you feel like, you know, you're, you're the only one, you know, putting the effort in here. But we have Christ, the fullness of deity in bodily form, and he fills you in every way. That's the only way this happens. If, you, if you're going to try to tell me to love someone else like that, it ain't happening unless we understand this as followers of this Jesus whom has been laid out for us in the book of Colossians as the one who is over all, in all, and fills everything in every way. That's the only way this works. God is not just flinging out random commands here, right? So I'll tell the wives to do this, tell the husbands to do this, and call it good. No. He is trying to make us look more like him, be more like he is. The parallel passages to this passage is in Ephesians, and Paul goes into a little more detail there. But here's the thing, marriage, and we've got to understand this, marriage is, big, is bigger than just two people trying to love each other for a lifetime. The Christian marriage is, for sure. It's bigger than that. It can be so much more than that. And Paul, when he gives these same commands to the husbands and wives in Ephesians, he starts talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. And he starts weaving them together. It's like this, and, and this is like that, and this is like that. And it feels to me almost like Paul kind of gets mixed up in which one he's talking about. In Ephesians 5, 23, he says, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, he says. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Right? You see, marriage is, is, is this incredible relationship between a man and a woman, but it's a, a relationship that God has designed and intended to reflect his relationship with us. And so husbands and wives, these two commands that seem sort of maybe one-off, they're a lot bigger than that. This is God inviting us to be like he is, to fellowship with him. When he fills us in every way, he makes us more like himself. And that's why we can't backpedal and move away from these things because there's too much at stake. The world is looking at us, Jesus' followers, the people who are supposed to be committed to him, filled with him. They're looking to us to see what he's like. And so we can't just get rid of this stuff because it's exactly representing what our Savior is like, what God is like, and what he is doing, and how he's transforming us into his image. Marriage is a unique opportunity to bear the image of God. That, that is what is at stake here. That is what God is doing in us in through all of these things, he's making us he's to reflect himself. Submission is a unique display of the image of God. Jesus submitting to the Father. This profound relationship in the triune God. You get to be a part of that. He invites you to reflect what the relationship between the Son and the Father is. And it is a sign of great strength and security in that relationship. Sacrificial love is a unique display of the image of God. Jesus loves the church with great patience and at great cost. 
God is shaping us to be most like him. Again, the rest of Colossians, this this great supreme over everything Jesus. 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. These two commands to wives and husbands are the reality of what he said in verse 10 of this very chapter. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's what God is doing here. He is making us most like him. And it's easy to lose that in the day-to-day in and out of marriage. It's easy to just get focused on some other thing. But we've got to let this theology of the head and the heart penetrate our home, our relationship with our spouse. Don't just try to fix behaviors. Don't just try to, I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to start doing this. It's Christ. He is the one who brings fullness. He's the one who makes sure everything that is there is there and everything that is there is all that it should be. You're not going to get that from your husband. You're not going to get that from your wife. You're only going to get that from Jesus. And it's yours in Christ. If we don't get that, we will not do marriage well. If we don't do that, Christian marriage will look just like every other version of marriage. But if we understand the supreme one who is over all, who is in all, who fills all, who's conquered all things, he is in us. And that when I'm submitting to my husband, man, I'm I'm, I'm being what Jesus was to the Father. When I'm loving my wife sacrificially, man, I'm being just like Jesus. He's filling me. He's turning me into... I'm putting off the old stuff and putting on the new stuff. I'm being renewed in knowledge in the image of my creator. That's the goal. And I would just encourage you as you leave here, a couple things. One, if you're not married, like, this is still relevant. Well, you may be married one day. But also, there's all kinds of things that you're friends with people who are married. And, And so often, again, it just becomes about two people trying to make it. And Christian marriage is about so much more than that. Point people to the fullness of Christ. Only in that relationship of full security and fullness can can any of us seek to be what God wants us to be in marriage. But for married people, I would say, talk about this. What is the goal? What are you trying to, what are you striving for in your marriage? Is it to make each other happy? What is it? And I would hope that it is to manifest the the image of your creator in your marriage. I hope that it's bigger than just two people trying to make each other happy and it's more about experiencing the fullness of Christ, all that he is in your marriage, to love like he loves. That's a much, much higher calling and goal and privilege for us as followers of Jesus. Let me pray for you.